You're listening to a podcast from JNNP. Hello and welcome to this JNNP podcast, uh, which is coming to you from the British Neuropsychiatry Association's annual general meeting here at the Institute of Child Health in London. Uh, my name is uh, David Skuse. I'm Professor of Behavioural and Brain Sciences here at the Institute of Child Health and a child psychiatrist at Great Ormond Street Hospital. I'm here to introduce Jeremy Hall, who has just been talking to us about some fascinating uh, work he's been doing with people with borderline personality disorder. Jeremy, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, uh, my name is Jeremy Hall. I'm an academic psychiatrist, currently Professor of Psychiatry and Neuroscience at the University of Cardiff, and I also work as an honorary consultant psychiatrist. Well, we've just been listening to you telling us about your, your fascinating work with this rather controversial condition, uh, with an unfortunate name. Uh, perhaps we should get that out of the way right at the start, because um, I think there are a lot of our, our listeners will probably bridle at the term borderline and also at the uh, term personality disorder. It's not something that patients particularly like to be labelled with. Uh, it's an extremely unfortunate name for a common and often quite disabling condition, and a condition which very unfortunately also has attracted a lot of stigma over the years, uh, both within and outside the medical world. Where did this ridiculous name come from? Well, the borderline component refers to the fact that patients were found to have symptoms that crossed the borderline between what we might generally call neurotic symptoms, things like depression and anxiety, emotional symptoms, and those that were considered or previously classified as psychotic symptoms, things like hallucinations and delusions. And so the patients with this condition have symptoms of both these categories. The term personality disorder is also one that I expect we'll see shift over time, but uh, is generally used for conditions that are present from an early stage uh, in the per person's development for a long time through their lives and uh, uh, are relatively intransient and considered a, a component of their personality. Although actually, the symptoms of borderline personality disorder often show improvement over time and, and therefore don't really meet the criteria for, for, for personality disorder. So the terminology is very unfortunate. And what I often say to patients when I'm talking to them is that you know, this is a condition that we see in a lot of people where patients have difficulty regulating their emotions day to day rather than over a period of, of weeks or months. So one uh, rather important characteristic, I guess, of this condition is that its variability may be evoked to some degree by day-to-day -day exposure to events which might be regarded as rather stressful. That's absolutely right. So patients with this condition often find that even you know, relatively minor adversities can really have a big impact on their mood, even across the course of a day. And they may also find that under more stressful circumstances, they could experience additional symptoms, some of the psychotic symptoms I mentioned, or, or even a condition known as dissociation, where they feel completely, if you like, spaced out or out of it, uh, detached from the world around them. Right. And of course, that, that does resonate with me. The talk that we heard from Chris Bruin was talking about post-traumatic stress disorder leading to, in some cases, emotional, strong emotional um, experiences later on. And of course, in some individuals, he told us, leads to dissociation. So of course, raises the question in my mind, many years ago that I studied borderline personality disorder, do people with borderline personality disorder have histories of stress in their, uh, in their early lives? 
It's very commonly associated with, with childhood uh, adversity and stress. Uh, so we can look both at uh, what we call cross-sectional studies, where you go to people with a disorder and you ask them, you know, about their, uh, retrospectively, about their childhood experience. And in those kind of studies, we, we find that more than 70% of people, uh, and, and sometimes in some samples even over 90%, report significant childhood adversity, be it for ha perhaps neglect or, or some form of childhood trauma such as abuse. Uh, Could you tell us a bit about the sort of abuse these people might have suffered? Well, it, it, it's very complex and of course one is always respectful of, of the individual's own personal experiences. But broadly categorised, well, this, this might include physical abuse for, from uh, you know, within or outside the family or even sexual abuse or emotional neglect, for example, or physical neglect. And sexual abuse is, is particularly potent? Well... Certainly, there's no question that uh, sexual abuse is a very powerful and traumatic experience for people during their development, though it doesn't appear to be the only etiological factor related to the development of, of these kind of symptoms. So other forms of uh, traumatic uh, you know, childhood experience kind of a similar effect but it does seem to be that things that are involving the kind of interpersonal interaction you know the interaction with the family or with other people rather than for example accidents do seem to be particularly potent and of course there is some evidence that uh, borderline personality disorder is quite influenced by genetic variation yes so what it seems to be here is as is so often the case in mental health and in other conditions there's an interaction between the person's you know if you like uh, nature and nurture their genetic background and their experience uh, and environment in terms of genetic background here uh, anecdotally in my own work and but more substantially in other people's work there seems to be an evidence of that that People who go on to develop borderline personality disorder may well have family backgrounds where depression or, or other mood disorders are more common. And certainly when one looks at twin studies, you can see that the, some of the traits of the condition do show heritability in twins. So moving on to your very interesting work recently, I think you've begun to look at the way in which people with borderline personality disorder process other people's emotional states, for example, or indeed um, are able to make objective social judgments about other people. Absolutely. So we wanted to get into these complex symptoms that the patients have. And, and whilst they seem complex and the patients, you know, are often have a lot of difficulty in these different domains, actually we felt we could reduce a lot of them down to emotional symptoms, social symptoms, and, and things that we might classify as impulse control. One way that we can get into looking at these emotional and social symptoms is to see how people respond to social stimuli. And one very potent social stimulus is, is an image of somebody else's face. We, we take a lot of information from the face. So we looked at the uh, response of people with borderline personality disorder to, for example, facial emotions or how they made judgments about faces. Do they see the face as being, for example, approachable or not? And we found that, that, that there were a number of differences uh, between patients with uh, borderline personality disorder or participants with borderline personality disorder and control subjects in how they responded to those facial cues. It reminded us of some work by um, a friend of mine in New York called Seth Pollock who, who looked at uh, traumatised children later on, looked at their responses to uh, facial expressions and found them likely to over-attribute, say, anger to a face. 
Along those lines, we, we asked uh, our participants to rate faces according to whether they saw, saw them as being approachable or trustworthy. And what we found was that they consistently related, rated them as less approachable or less trustworthy than, than control participants did. Coming back to your earlier point, David, uh, this was in part related to their severity of childhood experience. Uh, so the more difficult their childhood experiences have been, uh, the less likely they were to see faces as being trustworthy or, or in particular approachable. And then, of course, uh, immediately one's inclined to ask, what is going on in the brain when you see these, uh, these faces as uh, perhaps not as objectively as, as people who haven't had those traumatic experiences you, compared to people who don't have borderline personality disorder? Are there differences in uh, neural functioning associated with those distortions? So we, we've gone on to do some, some neuroimaging work and, and a part of that work has used facial stimuli or simple kind of computer games that people can play in the scanner, trying to get at the area of social interaction. And uh, certainly we found that people with borderline personality disorder do respond differently to, for example, emotional faces when we've uh, looked at them in the MRI scanner. Particularly, they seem to show a heightened response, a kind of alertness in the brain to emotional stimuli, which are, if anything, more provocative to them uh, in their neural circuits uh, than, than control subjects uh, do. That's fascinating. And I guess, finally, I must ask you, do you think that your research has got any implications for how we should treat borderline personality disorder? Well, it's interesting that one of the systems that uh, has come out as being particularly sensitized to the emotional responses in the patient group includes systems involving the, the, the neurotransmitter dopamine in the brain. And uh, it's been known for some time that drugs that target uh, dopamine uh, and its uh, hyperactivity can be effective in some groups of patients with personality disorder, particularly borderline personality disorder. And so we think now we might be beginning to uncover a mechanism why, why that could be the case. And, and we might be able to target that treatment more, more appropriately and more selectively to people who would most benefit from it. Well, thank you very much, Jeremy. That's uh, fascinating, and uh, we look forward to hearing more about your research in due course. Thank you very much, David.